Inside a rough and ruthless newsroom, thousands of stories fight for the spotlight. Only a few survive past their 15 minutes of fame. So what makes for a good headline and what makes for a buried byline? Join us, two former TV news producers, as we dig up stories that never got the recognition or justice they deserve. This is Buried Bylines. Coo Coo Coo, episode 11. Okay, are you ready for a literal roller coaster? Yeah. Okay. I am so ready on this beautiful Monday evening. <laughs> so today I'm going to be talking about one of Indiana's oldest cold cases. <gasps> I love old I cold do too. cases. I have seen a couple of places say that this may actually be like the oldest cold case still Whoa. out there. So I'm we'll see. I won't be surprised if you haven't heard of this case because I had no idea about it. Despite there being some recent updates. With that being said, let's dive into the mysterious death of Garnett Ginn. Not ringing a bell off the top. Okay. Probably because I'm taking you back to 1950. Oh, great. (laughs) (laughs) Probably. Why? (laughs) Yes. So in 1950, Garnett Ginn was 33 years old, serving as a teacher in the small town of Portland, Indiana. Portland is in northeast Indiana, located in between Muncie and Fort Wayne, but it's closer to like the border of Ohio. Gotcha. Garnett was a well-known teacher in the community. She worked at the high school. She taught home ec. Oh, I love it. (laughs) A crafty bitch. Yes. It was a profession that ran in the family. Her father was the principal at Mount Summit High School. Her mother, sister, and brother were also all teachers. Oh my gosh. God bless them. I know. And just a shout out, because multiple outlets reported that Garnett graduated from the Teachers College at Ball State University, which is Megan and I's alma mater, so Mm -hmm. chirp, chirp. This case first hits the media circle on March 1st, 1950. Multiple local newspapers in the area reported Garnett Ginn had been found strangled to death in the garage that she rented. Back then, she lived in an apartment, and her garage was like a block away, and she rented the space for parking. Gotcha. Right off the bat, multiple sources say they did not believe foul play was involved. Huh? Hold on. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm gonna set I'm gonna set the scene for you. Okay. Okay. On Monday, February 27th, Garnett went to work at Portland High School. Then she attended a sorority meeting at the Portland Country Club. Several local newspapers report that Garnett left that meeting alone and went home. But there is a conflicting report from the Star Tribune in Muncie stating that Garnett took a sorority sister, Gladys Pearson, home in her car. Regardless of that, on Tuesday morning, Garnett didn't show up for her classes. Around 11 a.m., the school's superintendent, D.S. Weller, decided to head over to the teacher's house to check on her, and there was absolutely no way anyone could have prepared him for what he found. No. Garnett's body was found hanging by a sewing machine belt from the handle of her car door. Initial reports show that her purse was lying open in the front seat of the car, but only had a 
little bit of money inside. It's reported that there was only a dime in her bag. Friends and family say she had more money, though, closer to $40 on her. She was also missing a small clip, which held her driver's license and identification papers. That's a very strange crime scene. Very strange. Right away, police and the public suspected suicide. The police chief said he did not believe this was a murder scene. The Jay County coroner backed him up by saying there was no outward evidence of violence in Garnett's death. The coroner also told reporters that the sewing machine belt resembled one that was missing from Gin's home. Okay, that can be true, but like, that's an odd, odd way of killing yourself. By hanging yourself on a car door handle? Yeah, it wouldn't, I mean, if I was going to hang myself, it wouldn't be the first place I would go With a sewing belt on your car door handle. That does not scream suicide to me at all. Well, it was clear that the local police kind of knew that this was out of like their realm of capability because mm-hmm. within a day they called Indiana State Police in oh, to good assist for them. in the death <laughs> investigation. Good for them. Sometimes they don't do that right away and yeah. Good on them. The coroner said he would continue to hold his verdict that Garnett took her own life basically until state police found something to prove otherwise. Mm-hmm. He determined Garnett's cause of death to be strangulation and her time of death to be around 11.30 p.m. on Monday night. In the early stages, detectives searched Garnett's home and checked her car for fingerprints. The Star Press reports that Garnett's passenger Monday night, Gladys, told them that she was in high spirits, but in retrospect, she said there were some odd moments during the sorority meeting. Like during the song fest or like the singing portion, Garnett requested two songs and they were titled God be with you till we meet again and goodbye sweetheart but I feel like in the 50s all the songs were like that that is so true yeah <laughs> so no absolutely and <laughs> and I think in the beginning stages it was all kind of you know police came out and basically said they thought she killed mm-hmm. herself so these were things that people you know yeah. people just kind of put things in their head once they hear information yeah. like that so making it match what they said like oh she she was singing sad songs about God. Okay, all of them were sad songs about God or yeah. the war. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Other interesting notes from police that were reported in the Star Press. They said they were unable to locate any male associates. Police went on to say that Garnett had a reputation for not having any male friends. And one investigator went as far as saying, quote, if she was associating with someone, it was strictly a game of hide and seek. Okay, we get it. She didn't have any outward suitors, okay? Oh my god, that's gross. (laughs) Yeah. Hide and seek. Mm. (laughs) Garnett was laid to rest at the Independent Order of Odd Fellows Cemetery in Akron, Indiana, four days after she was found dead. Her parents took out an ad in the Star Press thanking friends, family, and community members for attending the services and extending their sympathy. I can only imagine how difficult it was for them to bury their daughter with little to no answers about her death. Remember, at this time, Indiana State Police were still investigating, and the Ginn family did not believe 
believe that Garnett took her own life. Okay, that was my question. From what I can tell from newspaper reportings, the family pushed very hard to clear her name. The Ginn family says Garnett visited them just a week or so before her death. She told them she was very happy. She -hmm. had just bought her car. She was taking classes to get her master's degree. And she felt like the world was in the palm of her hand. Okay. I will say sometimes it can seem like that for people who actually do take their own lives. But I mean, if you're family, you you know the person and like you can kind of sense where their head's at. And if the whole family's like, no way. Yeah. And these were things that she had just said to them like a week before she died. And for me, that information holds a bit more weight than some Mm -hmm. ominous song requests at a sorority meeting. Listen, (laughs) (laughs) that girl needs to sit down. Yeah. Also, I just don't understand where police think the logistics of her killing herself that way come from because I guess it depends on where they found the body. But like the only way to hang yourself on a car door because you're not dangling you'd have to like lean forward and then like your survival instincts would kick in and you just have to back up yeah correct and I am going to get into heavy detail (laughs) about how this entire investigation was bungled in the first couple of days because like I said they knew that it was outside of their ability and some big mistakes were made that I think could have changed this so yeah don't come out and be like it's for sure suicide but we're just gonna have state police just make sure but you're gonna lose your mind so awesome. just prepare yourself mm, prepare the listeners you mean be <laughs> screaming so on april 14th the family got their wish and the entire course of this case changed thanks to an incredible team of journalists <gasps> yay this made me really happy mm-hmm. so The Star Press reports, quote, the stigma of suicide has been lifted from the memory of Miss Garnett Ginn through the faith and determination of her family. All of the information I'm about to share with you is from an independent investigation by the Indianapolis Star. Bless the Indianapolis Star. I love the Indy Star. A partner newspaper of the Star Press in Muncie. A few weeks after Garnett was buried, the Ginn family requested that her body be exhumed and transported 100 miles to Indianapolis for an official medical autopsy. Because if I did not make this clear, there was not an autopsy within the four days of her being found and her being buried. I know this is the 50s. I know it is. But it's just so frustrating. I know. Within a matter of minutes, experts at the Indianapolis General Hospital, which is now known as Eskenazi, were able to determine that Garnett was struck seven times over the head with a club or a weapon with a sharp edge. What, ma'am? I know. (laughs) Investigators say that one of the hits over her left ear could have been with the butt of a revolver. That was just in their initial review of what the potential weapon could have been. And let me just share another quote with you from this newspaper article because it's 1950 and they just don't write like this anymore. (laughs) So (laughs) they say, quote, Miss Ginn was the victim of an assailant who sprung from the darkness in her garage to assault her murderously when she drove home from a sorority party on the night of February 27th, unquote. How do you know all that? How do you know it was dark? What if the lights were on? I mean, it was nighttime. (laughs) No, I know. (laughs) 
in 1950. I'm just stuck on if you're hit seven times in the head, there's going to be outward trauma that you should not have missed. So let's dive into it. Okay. (laughs) It's very clear the police in Portland weren't paying much attention during the initial investigation. And if they were paying attention, they ignored what they found. This Indie Star report reveals that Portland police trampled out footprints at the crime scene. And at this time, a lot of garage floors were still dirt or gravel mm-hmm. and not cement. The investigation also found that police overlooked blood spatter along the side of the car, on both rear fenders, on the roof, and on the cushion of the front seat. What the fuck? Additionally, police ignored the strange positioning of Garnett's body. She was found hanging from her car handle, but she had one knee resting on the ground. The journalists point out that it's practically impossible for anyone to hang themselves when they have a leg or knee resting on the solid ground that would prevent them from being able to sustain spend their body forward and hang themselves thank you indy star yes and don't worry there's more physical evidence that was recovered at the scene these reporters are throwing so much shade they say quote the significance of tears in miss skin's coat and blouse escaped the police as did the dirt stains on the back of her glove and coat There was also a rip in the knee of her stockings, and both of her shoes were freshly scuffed. All of this indicates to me that there was a clear struggle between her and whoever was trying to kill her. Yes, ma'am. But you know who didn't shrug off this evidence? Her familia. Garnett's family. Yay! Her father pressed police on the evidence, and when that got nowhere... They decided to write to the Indianapolis Star and ask them for help. The Indy Star began this investigation on their own, looking into the case. After questioning police and reviewing the records, the journalists were the ones who suggested that the Ginn family ask for an official autopsy. Those autopsy results are something police can't ignore. They Mm -hmm. prove that every piece of evidence in this case points to the probability of murder and not suicide. Correct. And now they're fucking behind. Exactly. As I was reviewing this, I was like, how the hell did the original coroner get it so wrong? He needs to be fired. He needs to be well, dug up out of his grave and fired if he's still listen, alive. Listen, you're going to be mad, but it's not his fault. And I'll tell you why it's not his fault. It's clear at this point to us, as I'm telling this story, that Garnett was murdered and her body was staged to look as if she took her own life. Yes. The Indy Star uncovered that when police arrived at the scene, they called an undertaker before they notified the coroner. And if you don't know, because I also had to look it up, an undertaker is someone who removes bodies and prepares them for funerals or cremation. Mm-hmm. So when the coroner got to the scene, the undertaker had already removed Garnett's body from the car and carried her out of the garage. Okay. Did he freaking put her skull back? I don't think that she looked like she had been badly beaten. 
happen because in the autopsy report, it's still determined that her cause of death was strangulation. And I'm going to tell you why. She was hit over the head hard enough to be knocked unconscious, but not hard enough where it was blunt force trauma. Right, but devil's advocate there's blood at the scene so she has to be bleeding somewhere or was or there's dried blood you know I'm not sure if the coroner went into the garage and actually examined the crime scene I know but you gotta examine all of the body I know I'm not letting this guy off I know I I don't think you're wrong I don't think you're wrong at all but the cause of death even later when it was officially determined was strangulation because she was hooked up in that belt when she was unconscious. So she couldn't have stopped herself from being strangled to death because she was unconscious, but... Um, she didn't kill herself. Do we know she was strangled by that? Yes. Okay. Well, I guess it would be hard to tell if somebody walked up behind her and then strangled her that way or, and then staged it. I don't know if there's a way to tell, but. I don't know if there's a way to tell that either. All I can tell you is that her hyoid bone wasn't broken, but it was fractured. Okay. Yeah. And for those of you that don't know, new to true crime, if your hyoid broke, oh my God, I did the same thing. It's really hard to say. Hyoid bone bone hyoid bone if that's broken that's a sign of strangulation it doesn't break all the time every time but it's a good marker so what sucks the most about all of this is not only did police do Garnett and her family an injustice but they've also done law enforcement an injustice because they have to catch a killer and they have no fingerprints Mm -hmm. no footprints no suspects and Mm -hmm. no motive it just knowing that oh it just makes me so mad because there's so much here there's so much here while blood was found at the scene in 1950 they didn't have the technology for that to be useful it seemed like the only thing police did have was the belt from the sewing machine and initially investigators thought it came from Garnett's home and that's how she strangled herself but it turns out Garnett didn't even have a sewing machine in her home okay I know I think they just leapt to that conclusion because they were like she's a home ec teacher she obviously yeah. has to have a sewing machine and it's an easy explanation she killed yeah. herself as I'm looking at this I'm like it feels like if they can figure out where that belt came from maybe they can get closer to answers mm-hmm Something really good happens because after the autopsy results are revealed, Indiana State Police order a full-scale investigation into Garnett's death. Good. And once it gets moving, they're, like, on it. Do you know another great place that state police could probably start their investigation? The school. What about a potential witness? Indy Star reported that a neighbor of Garnett heard a scream around 10.30 p.m. shortly after she drove her car car into her garage good to know the neighbor said that she thought it was a cat (laughs) i was like i don't know how you can confuse a cat with someone who's being like i don't know i've never heard a cat scream before i know that's true (laughs) the neighbor said they also saw someone moving in the garage in the reflected glare of the Mm -hmm. car headlights but they just thought that it was her 
Right, and, as he would. Yeah, and they didn't really think anything of it until they heard the news the following morning. Right. Ugh. State police, like I said, they got right to work on this. They examined her car almost immediately along with her clothing. They found blood in 12 places on her gloves. They also found blood spatter and bits of hair inside the car. Officials believed whoever killed Garnett was lying wait in her garage <gasps> until she got home. Oh, I thought you were going to say sitting in the back in the trunk. And then when she parked in her garage, sat up and fucking whacked No, her but do that's you know my... that I actually uh, have, like, I get terrified when I get that's in my, my car. Fear. I always I look. look in the back. <laughs> yeah, because I'm like, I don't want to be strangled. I, I don't want to be hit. Too many Criminal Minds episodes. Correct. This. Correct. Too many horror movies. Too many Criminal Minds episodes. Always check your backseat and lock yeah. your doors. Police also took the approach of anyone could be a suspect when they were asked about potential men in Garnett's life or possible visitors she had officials responded saying it's routine to talk to anyone who could have been linked to Garnett in any way just find and out you who know, was playing hide and seek with her yeah and you know it's really incredible what information you get when police start poking around right, right. so suddenly there's a lot of potential suspects and people that they're considering a report from the Kokomo Tribune on April 17th shows police yeah. were surveilling two men after finding out one of them allegedly tried to force himself on Garnett. A close friend of the teachers also told police that an unnamed man appeared in Garnett's garage one afternoon, got into her car, and asked if she was going for a drive. Garnett told the man she was just there to clean up, and apparently he got out of her car and kind of lingered around asking questions and then I guess that guy also previously accosted her no big deal what like hell I I was just appalled in some of the stuff that I was casually reading and right and like the way she died so I couldn't tell if this guy was one of the guys that was being surveilled but there's also this weird tidbit from a local reporter at the Portland Graphic which is the super hyper-local newspaper in Portland. They told police that a man called the newsroom and threatened the reporter to stop looking into Garnett's death. The man said, quote, lay off that murder case. But the call came in on April 6th, nearly a week before the autopsy, declaring it was murder. (gasps) Ooh, freaky. And they didn't have star 69, so that's unfortunate. (laughs) That was really spooky to me, honestly. I like It's like a theme in this too over the years is there are people anonymously who call or write and try to get people to stop looking into this. And like before they should know. Yeah. So after one day of state police investigating the scene, it seemed as though they had more confidence. They believed the blood found inside the car was that of the killers. Mm -hmm. Oh, Yeah, officials theorized that Garnett fought back, potentially biting the killer and drawing blood or hitting them and causing a bloody nose. Mm -hmm. Of the bloodstains in the car, police zeroed in on spatter found on the car's light switch. They say that indicates that either the killer moved so quickly that she didn't have time to turn the lights off or the killer turned the lights on after to inspect his quote handiwork probably yeah to make sure she was dead either makes sense 
Both are unsettling. Yeah, I don't like either of those options. That April 18th article also encouraged readers to send any potential tips to the Indianapolis Star, who would be tracking the evidence and its sources before turning it over to state police. Together, the Indy Star, the Portland Graphic, and the Jay County Sheriff's Office pooled in reward money for information in the case leading to an arrest. Oh, that's it was awesome. About $1,700, which is a lot of money in 1950. Hold, please. I'll tell you exactly. Are you going to do the calculator? I love the calculator. I I wanted to do that for the dime that was in her purse, too, just because I was curious. Do it. Damn. $21,945. Oh, my God. (laughs) I know. Okay, now let's do a dime. So, how much? Yeah, I was going to say, how much is a dime? $1.29. Yeah, that's like a full, like, Happy Meal back then. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Upsetting. Anyway. (laughs) The next day, April 19th, police revealed new information about the two men they were surveilling. One man who lived about 100 miles outside of Portland was cleared, but the other one, who was a Portland resident, was labeled as high priority. Mm -hmm. Officials also revealed that two additional men who lived in Portland were added to the suspect list. Police said they were following every lead, no matter how faint. They also said it could be days or weeks before the case was closed. What surprised me the most while researching was that it seemed like every day since the state police launched their investigation, there were small pieces of evidence being reported to the public. Yeah. And I was actually kind of shocked by everything the police revealed on April 20th. So this is like three consecutive days that we're getting reports, or four I guess, so 17th, 18th, 19th, now it's the 20th. They tell reporters that they're investigating a suspicious letter written to the school superintendent regarding Garnett's death. They said it wasn't necessarily threatening, like the call to the Portland reporter, but it was of interest. Additionally, they learned about a 19-year-old who seemingly rushed out of town on February 28th, the night Garnett's body was discovered. A driver described the guy as anxious, especially when the bus passed a police car near Decatur, Indiana. He told the bus driver he was heading to Detroit. These little clues that don't really seem to be just keep getting printed and building this case up even more. On top of that, every single story that was reported in Portland or in Muncie was shared in Indianapolis and in small towns across the state. So you see it in Richmond, in Evansville, all over. On April 21st, police learned from a student that the sewing machine belt likely came from Garnett's purse. The home ec student said the belt on her machine broke, so she went to her teacher and asked for a new one. She told the girl that she would bring her a new one, and the school reported no missing belts on their sewing machines, so police assumed that the one at the crime scene was new and being brought in for that student, like, the next day or something. It's clear that the public got used to these daily updates because about two weeks With no mention of Garnett's murder, a reader wrote in asking if the staff got tired of the case or if it had been dropped. Damn. 
I know. Shots fired. The newspaper ensured readers that the case was not closed and that police were still working on it. But despite all those little clues, there was nothing big enough to lead to an arrest. In the weeks that followed, additional columns and opinion pieces were published questioning where the case stood and if it would ever be solved. Even in 1950, people knew that there was a short window of time for a murderer to be found. A lot shorter than now, and we have modern technology, so... Yep, that is true. After that summer, I couldn't really find any articles in 1950 about Garnett Ginn. The one-year anniversary came and went without any recognition. Oh, wow. It wasn't until October of 1951 when I found an article about Garnett's case. Again, though, it was journalists drawing the attention. The Mm -hmm. piece was focused on Merle Berg and her reporting on the murder. She sat down with a fellow reporter and was basically talking about how she always thought it was a murder case and that she believes the case will get solved. On the other side of the newspaper, I'm not feeling very hopeful and I'm wondering if Portland residents were kind of feeling the same way because it just didn't look very promising. Right. I sifted through decades of newspaper clippings. I was hoping to find like any additional updates or clues, but the 10 year anniversary passed without a mention. And then oh the 20, God. the 20 year anniversary passed in 1975. A small side column of the Indie Star mentioned the case as sort of like a this day in history. The column was titled Do You Remember? And there were two sentences basically saying on April 15th in 1950, two men were questioned in Garnett Ginn's murder. And that's it. <laughs> like, oh my God. I know. It seems like, like that's this, odd. I know. I think it was like something that Tribune was trying because there was also a Do You Remember column published in the Star Press on May 14th. Mm-hmm. And that one was regarding the filing of Garnett's cause of death. It just kind of seemed like her death was a footnote in the history of Central Indiana crime cases. And as more time passed, more people forgot about the case. People moved on with their lives. They had Mm -hmm. their own children who would have no idea that this ever even happened. It may sound kind of dramatic putting it like that, but as I scanned through 50 plus years of newspaper articles, that's exactly what it seemed. Yeah, it really, it's what happened to her case. It got lost. I did mention at the top of the episode so there were some recent developments, though. <gasps> I forgot about that. Yeah. Uh, give it to me. So in February of 2019, nearly seven decades to the day after Garnett Gim was murdered, investigators got a new tip prompting reevaluation of the case. Apparently, a local radio show in Northeast Indiana was discussing historic cold cases and Garnett's story came up. This prompted a former Portland resident to come forward. The resident is described as an elderly person who is, quote, still scared about the knowledge of this case. Girl, why? (laughs) I mean, I get it. It's gotta be old, unless they know, like, the person that did it is still alive. But also, like, trauma can impact you. Ah. 
Yeah. I know. But the tipster told police about ceiling planks in the garage that had been broken, leading police to believe that Gen's murderer was literally waiting in the rafters <gasps> oh, and then no. jumped down to wow. attack. Can you imagine? Fuck no. That's a horror movie. I'm like, new fear unlocked. I know. Now I'm going to have to check my ceiling rafters in my garage. Yeah. The Ugh. tipster also named a potential suspect to police, but officials say that person has since unfortunately passed away. Damn. Local police said they would still follow up on the lead with the hope of providing closure to Gin's family. Officials said they wouldn't release that person's name, but would follow up with their relatives. The only problem is... As of early 2019, local police said they have yet to locate police reports or physical evidence from the original 1950 investigation. They had all of that shit and they did not preserve it. We need to have a new position in the police department that is evidence secure. And like you have to have eyes on the evidence at all times to make sure there are no mysterious fires or it got lost or coffee got spilled on it. Fuck that. This is 2023. This should not happen anymore. Current leaders on the force say they contacted state police to see if maybe the evidence was moved, if the documents were in their possession since they took over the case. But basically, they have the tip, but without physical evidence, it's only faded newspaper articles, faded memories, a lot of theories, and small town folklore. God damn it. I hate this. I know. Some more buzz around the case came in October of 2019, but the police basically said any potential DNA evidence is seemingly gone. The only thing police seem to have is a solid theory and a few good witnesses. That may have worked in 1950, but in 2023, we need hard evidence for a conviction. Right. Detective Todd Wickey is currently spearheading this new information in 2019. He told WTHR in Indianapolis that he interviewed two people in their 80s who were young teens at the time of Gin's murder. One witness told Wiki that before her death, Gin went to police and told officials that the local optometrist was stalking her. Gin only lived a block from the police station and officers allegedly gave her her a whistle to blow into in case of emergency. <laughs> Fuck right off. I can't even get through that without laughing because it That's seems so, so un- fucking oh stupid. Oh my god. But like in 1950 I-, I don't even know. I'm like is that a thing? I that feel like they- that would happen now to be honest. <laughs> Literally like women have to be killed before they take stalkers seriously. That yeah. is fucking crazy. Like oh we can't do anything unless they hurt you. Yeah. According to town records, the optometrist left Portland shortly after the murder and was never questioned by police. And again, police have confirmed that this man is now dead. Detective Wiki presented his own findings and theories to the Jay County Historical Museum in 2019. He believes it could have been the optometrist or that man's wife. Aside from the alleged stalking report from Garnett, there are theories and rumors that she was having an affair with the optometrist. Wiki said the female tipster's recollection of the crime scene, the physical description of the suspect, 
his name and profession all gave her credibility. And then the fact that this man moved out of Portland about a month after the murder, Wiki said that makes him the prime suspect. There were also some initial rumblings in 1950 that one of the suspects or persons of interest was a person of prominence, but they wouldn't say like if they were in the school system or if they were right. in politics. I guess maybe I could see like a doctor, like an optometrist being a person true. of prominence in 1950. And in Portland, yeah. Yeah. So right now, when it comes to information on the case, it feels like police have enough, but because their prime suspect is dead and they don't have any forensic evidence, Wiki is not confident that this case will ever be solved. No, they only have circumstantial evidence and hearsay. The crazy thing is, the crime scene itself is still standing. The garage? As of 2019, (sighs) the garage where Garnett Ginn was murdered was still there. Whoa. Yeah. WTHR did a report where they actually toured the building and if you're interested, you should definitely watch it because some of the wooden planks and broken beams still look the exact same as the original crime scene photos in 1950. Whoa. Yeah, it's very it? I don't know, but it's very old and it doesn't look good. Like from the outside, it looks really bad and I'm almost wondering just because I've seen mentions of like the historical society being involved, if maybe they bought it or if it's being preserved for some sort of reason. I know it feels like such a letdown to have new information in this case and no next moves. I can tell you that the case is still open, but it sits inactive. Like there mm-hmm. aren't police officers that are currently working on yeah, it. Like, what are you going to do? Nothing. Police say they will still take tips though and follow up on them. So if you know anything about the murder of Garnett Ginn, you can contact the Portland Police Department at 260-726-7161. Everyone ask your grandparents if they know the case. See if they can tell you something. What makes me so upset about this is that it's so small town that Mm -hmm. these even though this guy left, these people were still so scared. I know. To say anything. And if he's dead, like, what are you scared of now? Yeah. And, you know, maybe they were also, like, if they were young teens, maybe they right. thought that police wouldn't listen to them or take them seriously. True. I mean, they didn't take her seriously when she yeah. said she was scared for her life. I think the thing that was most shocking to me, especially with this being such a small town case, is it went literally from like 1951 until 1975 before Mm -hmm. anyone even talked about it again. No mentions, yeah. And there were no big follow-ups on it. The only thing was that someone happened to be talking about it on a radio station 70 years later. Right. And some old person was like, oh yeah, I remember that. Maybe I should say something. Right, literally. Ask your grandparents. If you live in Indiana or have ties to Portland, Indiana ask your grandparents ask your grandma what she knows it's seriously so crazy because I do think that I mean there's so many things that went wrong but had they not walked all over the crime scene it's giving Jean Bonnet like letting Mm -hmm. random people walking around and destroying like potential fingerprints and potential footprints and then we have blood and hair and it's had it all preserved it's gone they could 
DNA that shit. Now, yeah. Yeah, Wiki even said, if I had physical evidence, I would go to this guy's kids or grandkids. I would track yeah. them down and see if I could test and compare the evidence, but they don't have it. It's just I know. lost. Ugh. How do God, you lose evidence in a murder case? I don't know. It happens a lot, though, apparently. We need and a new position in the police department. Evidence yeah. watcher. The only thing that I am maybe thinking of, I mean, the local police have basically said the mayor came out a couple weeks after you know they said that it was murder and not suicide Mm -hmm. and he basically came out and was defending local police saying they weren't equipped to handle a murder case like this and yada 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 they just basically assumed that it was suicide and it's not their fault and whatever that's not an excuse you can't just assume when you're a police officer like yeah and then later finding out that she allegedly went to police about this optometrist who might be like a big guy in town and not only did they not really do anything for her but then you know a couple days later week later when she's found dead right like, you draw how those is that conclu- not like, the first person you talk to it makes me wonder if maybe this optometrist had friends in the police department maybe. and they just never question because how does he not even get questioned right that would go along with the prominent person from that witness it's just so frustrating because we don't know and we had it we had all of the evidence and everything that we would have needed now and it's gone it's really sad because looking through the lens of today if this would have happened today i'd like to say they would have not even declared it a suicide that's like standard policy now because an autopsy would have been conducted before Mm -hmm. she was buried that would have happened they would have taken dna from the scene it Mm -hmm. would have been tested they would have maybe had suspects or people that they could at least test the dna against and i I feel like nowadays they would at least journalists in newsrooms would follow it better even just a mention on the one year anniversary 10 year anniversary things like that we do that all the time now yeah and i do think there are things about this as a cold case that feel salacious or interesting to me like the fact that she was a home ec teacher and it was a sewing machine belt and reading that back it has those details yeah Yeah, that'll hook you in later it has the details that are interesting it makes me really really sad i was when i first saw this case i found it on one of those things where it was like the most interesting (laughs) unsolved cases or whatever in indiana and i i was very interested and when I looked up her name, I saw that there was recent articles. I kind of like saved those and put those aside. And I was like, I'm going to go back and I'm going to do all the research and yes and, and whatever. Then at, yeah. And then I got to the recent stuff and I was so disappointed. Like yeah, I was hoping that it was going to be DNA. They they something. were testing DNA or something. It yeah, was that's frustrating. Kind of a huge letdown and I feel bad. I know. I know. Well, don't. I mean, it's, it's real life. And I sometimes know. the stories you pick to air in the news or write about they're not happy they don't have an ending but it's still important that we share them because the person that killed her is still out there dead or not their yeah, reputation they, is still intact they lived their life they, lived they literally got life. away with murder and they're still not even 70 years later you're right like their reputation 
name's still intact because they're not even naming who this person is. So you're just counting on people who lived in that town and happened to know who the optometrist Mm -hmm. was. They're the only people who know who this person was. Right. And then they tried to ruin her reputation by staging it to look like a suicide. Yeah. And it's just gross and sad. I know. Do you remember the documentary that was really, really popular in 2017? It was called The Keepers. Yes. And it was about that school nun who was murdered. I immediately thought of that in my brain when you started talking about this stuff. It's very similar. She was a school teacher. Yeah. She was a nun. She was found similarly. Like there was something with her car and then her body was later found murdered. Mm -hmm. But it was giving me very similar vibes. I was going to even say that, but I was like, no. That's also (laughs) a really good true crime documentary if anyone's interested. And that went viral because you had the religion aspect. And then you also had a group of people that were still alive and like willing to talk about it. And their story was very compelling and they didn't stop. They were her, I'm pretty sure they were her students. They were. The more you talk about a case, the more attention it gets. And it seems like her her family was pretty vocal. So I don't know why this wouldn't have blown up. I will say it <laughs> sucks because it doesn't feel like they're ever going to get closure. I know. I'm yeah. sure this is something they talk about and think about all the time still. Yeah. Well, good job. I know you did a lot of digging. Girl, it was a Like deep, a little rat in the trash. <laughs> I was texting you. I was like, I am on page 100 of newspaper clip. You did a good job. A very Thank thorough, you. very thorough. Oh, no, I'm sad. I feel like I say that after every case that we do. <laughs> I need to do one about like a scam that wasn't really bad, like a silly scam. Right. Like a like an MLM. <laughs> silly goose MLM scam. <laughs> As former journalists, we want to give credit where credit is due. For this episode, I got my information from the Indianapolis Star, the Muncie Star Press, the Kokomo Tribune, the Associated Press, WTHR, and Wayne TV. You can find a complete list of our sources in the show notes. Please make sure you check them out. Bye! Bye.